Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. We're so happy to have so many wonderful fans, viewers, and listeners to the Addiction Solution Podcast. We know that many of our listeners are seeking a solution to addiction for themselves or someone they love. So let me tell you about our Freedom Model online program. It's like no other program for addiction in the world. The Freedom Model online program, or FMOP as we call it, was made for those who still want to be able to learn a solution, but do it on their own, in the privacy of home and on their schedule, but with guidance from the addiction experts who developed the Freedom Model. FMOP consists of more than 65 video lessons taught by Mark Sheeran and me. We're the co-developers of the Freedom Model. The program includes additional lessons not included anyplace else. They are the mind and brain, the binge construct, and life movements. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family Online Program, the 12-step deprogramming seminar series, which people love, new quick lessons taught by certified Freedom Model coaches posted each week, the Freedom Model monthly newsletter, and a two-hour live question-and-answer coaching session with Mark and myself on the last Wednesday of every month. And FMOP is affordable. For just $450, you have access for the first month. And if you feel you need more time, you can maintain your access for just $49.95 for each additional month. You can enroll in FMOP today at thefreedommodel.org. Or if you have questions about our products or services, call us at 888-424-2626. We are happy to help. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we co-wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. Um, So this is uh, the second part of a series on defining why Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step group is a a cult. Yep. We're just making friends all over. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think there's, I do think there's a I lot of, we are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who, when you, when you look at our social media accounts, it's about 50, 50, you have 50% of the diehard AA people who really, really get pissed off. And then you have about 50% desperately trying to get out of the cult or who have left. Yeah. And yeah, they, and they recognize it. As you know, such. when, when you're going against the grain though, it's, it see, I, Mark has a really thick skin and I've tried to, but, <laughs> but it's, but it's, it, it's the people that don't agree are loud. Yeah. And, and they're mean. mean and they're mean yeah. <laughs> and they hurt my feelings. Yeah. But you know what? It is what it is. It is. It I, is. I can't, I can't control that. Right. And, <laughs> and we have to tell the truth. So we do, we do. I mean, that's, that's really, we're saving lives. And I think that, that, um, we're doing it in these podcasts in a way, sometimes we do things funny mm-hmm. and sometimes we're lighthearted. 
I think this we're just going into the facts. Yeah. And so what we did is we created, um, well, we didn't create, we found the, what is this called? The checklist? This is the um, Cult Awareness Network. Uh, this is from the 19, late 1990s. They made basically a checklist of, and it's really really great piece that was written of the characteristics of a cult and how you can tell how you can identify one. if you're in one because because right. sometimes it's a subtle thing um you know if certain religions can kind of feel cultish mm-hmm. um and and so they they wrote this to help people to to realize it because the the problem i mean some people will say oh well if it's a cult who cares i mean if it's helping people does yeah, that really it's a matter good cult. it's a good, good cult and i think when when you listen to the the checklist that we're doing that we're going over you'll really see the dangers that's right. I mean, there's there's legitimate dangers to being in a cult. Yeah. Um, and uh, all I th- right. I think we went over the first five or six uh, characteristics. And oh, the, gosh. The, yeah. How many did the, we do? The, yeah. The, the last one was one, two, three, four. Yeah, it was six. And we're doing seven today. So let's get into it. Okay. Here we go. The group has a polarized us versus, versus them mentality, which causes conflict with the wider society. Well, that's that. My God, the very definition while you're in a meeting is that you are different than everybody. A, everybody. They they even have a a term in there where you know uh, the normal people, meaning the people outside of AA, and we're not normal. We're alcoholics. And well, I can remember actually saying at one point, and it's so embarrassing when I think about this stuff. But this is this is how you get um, indoctrinated. I can remember actually saying, you know, I'm I'm grateful you know, that I, that I had a problem with alcohol and drugs and all the things that I went through because I wouldn't have found, found this wonderful group. Like I wouldn't Mm. become a part of these special people, right? You know, that you're, it's like that, that in your, when you're in high school, you want to be in a secret club. Yeah. And you, you want to belong and you want to belong. And, and there's a, um, the way the pyramid scheme works in AA is that one alcohol, only an alcoholic can work with another alcoholic. And that, that's a weird idea that Bill Wilson made up. And so you identify as one and then you, the only way to stay sober, since only an alcoholic can work with another alcoholic, the only way to stay sober, according to Bill Wilson, is that you have to continually serve people. So you serve people to save your own skin, which isn't service, by the way. No. So, but it's all in the name of service. That's another earmark of a cult, right? So, so you, you, end up recruiting to save your own skin. It's a really remarkably well done pyramid scheme because it's like, it's exactly what the the Jehovah's witnesses do. They limit the number of people that can go to heaven and the criteria for you to be included in that limited number of people is if you recruit more people. Do you see how it's a self-perpetuating fear-based thing? It's a negative feedback loop. Mm. So um, if I don't recruit, 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 I won't be included in the 144,000 that are going to to heaven. If I don't recruit, 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 I won't be included in the sober people. That's right. I'll drink again. Jails, institutions, and death for me. That's right. Mm-hmm. So so it's that uh, negative feedback loop. But anyway, the meetings are are certainly um, an us versus them mentality. For okay. sure. For sure. The group's leader is not accountable to any authorities, as are, for example, military commanders, ministers, priests, monks, and rabbis of mainstream dom- dominations. Yeah. So uh, Bill Wilson had no 
um, nobody telling him what to do, how to do it. So he was able to just simply make things up. He just made it up. You have to understand that when he wrote the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1939, uh, I go through this in our deprogramming series in our Mm -hmm. online program. Um, He was desperately poor in a four-year depression, had holes in his shoes, was broke. His wife was on the verge of leaving him. And nobody in his fledgling little organization cult was staying sober. It was a complete, utter failure and shit show. And yet he wrote there that it was a resounding success that a hundred men and women had achieved sobriety. He just made it all up. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, and so he wasn't accountable. He wasn't accountable to anybody because he was just making it up and he was the leader. He was the self-appointed leader. So all he had to do was get people to follow him, which is eventually what he did. He created this idea that he was sent by God to uh, deal with alcoholics and drug addicts. And he came up with a lot of terminology around it, but he just made it all up. He wasn't even accountable to research because what they did when, when Yelnick actually did the research and we have a great paper on baldwinresearch.com about this. Mm -hmm. When, when Yelnick did the research and started you know, basically defining alcoholism and what an alcoholic was, it was, the research was totally skewed and flawed. Yeah. They took out, uh, like a third of the population that didn't fit the, their, their agenda. Exactly. They removed the sample. Yeah. They, they cherry picked, which you can't, you can't do in research. They cherry picked the people that fit the theories and and so go to baldwinresearch.com and I'm trying to think of the name of the paper, but it might be, it's either treatment doesn't work. That was one of the papers and addiction. Alcoholism is not a disease. Alcoholism alcoholism is not a disease. I think that's the name of the paper. Yeah. And um, initially it was written by my father, but then we had uh, a Harvard Harvard grad student actually completed that paper. Yep. Um, and, and so, yeah, definitely it's called alcoholism is not a disease. I think that she finished it and published it in 96. No, no, oh, much 2000. later, much later. Uh, it would 2006? be 2000, 2000, or between 2000 and 2006 yep. at some point. So go, yeah, go check uh, 2003. I think it says on it. I'm seeing it in my mind. So baldenresearch.com. All right. Uh, the group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify means that members would have considered unethical before joining the group. For example, collecting money for bogus charities. Well, I think the biggest bogus lie is the very premise that it sits on, and that's that a drug has power and you don't. Yeah. So it they justify a disease. Every time I bring this up, you notice that nobody in TikTok or on our social media will challenge this. It's interesting. They'll yell and scream and freak out on all kinds of things that we say. But whenever I say, oh, so saddling somebody with a disease they don't have is ethical. Right. I mean, that's teaching people that they have a chronic, they have a chronic progressive incurable decision, which the research and the data shows overwhelmingly is not true. Okay. So, but teaching people that they're powerless over an inert substance there there's it's no different than telling people they're powerless over water okay an inert substance is like teaching them that lie is okay if it means they'll 
stay abstinent from said substance. That's right. So the, the thing that makes all of this so utterly believable at points, if you, if you don't really think about it, is the fact that you get physically drunk. And so you feel physically different. And so you can wrap all kinds of magic around that experience. And our culture is very good at doing that because it sells booze and it sells treatment. So, and it sells Bill's cult. That's mm-hmm. what it does. So, um, yeah. Well, it can be believable too, because I, Mark and I both at one point felt, felt like we were a slave to alcohol mm-hmm. and, yep. but, but we were raised in the cult to believe that alcohol had power. We were raised that way. Um, and now we have generations of people that are raised believing that substances can take over your life. Yeah. Yeah. So the ends justify the means. And that is let's saddle people with a disease they don't have. That's akin to cancer. Cause that's what they always say. It's like cancer and diabetes. Um, that doesn't objectively exist at all. It doesn't literally it's, it's meaningless. Um, they have imbued the substance with power and told you that you don't have any, which is a lie. And all of this is in the name of helping you. Yeah. So they lie to you about a condition you don't have in order to help you. So the ends justifies the means. And it's like the person saying it's a good cult, you yes. know, if it saves my life. Yes. Okay. All right. This is it, right? Okay. The leadership induces guilt feelings in members in order to control them. Oh boy. Oh, that's all they do. <laughs> that's all they do. That's it. That's it. It's all based on the guilt. Feeling guilty for drinking again or using drugs again. I mean, I can remember like feeling guilty. Oh, we had this one meeting and I'm going to make a little bit light of this, but this is just an example. Um, there was one, one meeting where uh, where the, some, the person speaking was talking about, well, you know, I got cable from my landlord who lives downstairs and that's stealing. And so I had to go make amends to the cable company, lest I drink again. Right. I I mean, something like that. No, it wasn't something like that. That's exactly what happened. You remember that? And then I remember thinking, now we hardly ever watch television, but when we moved into our apartment just before I got married, our landlords were like, there's already cable upstairs and you can use our cable. It's fine. And I was like, oh, that might make me drink again. (laughs) I mean, really, that's the kind of stuff like that guilt feeling. And then the guilt is supposed to trigger. Look at none of that is true. None of that is true. Do I think you should steal cable? No, but I... But it has nothing to do with drinking. It has nothing to do with drinking. It has nothing to do with drinking um, or drugging. But I remember like being made to feel guilty because I couldn't pick somebody up to go to a meeting. Well, let's let's look at another side of the guilt thing. And that is they tell you you're on a pink cloud. So they make you feel guilty that if you're too happy. Yeah, that if you're too happy, um, don't worry. Serious business. Yeah, don't worry. You'll fall off. Don't worry. You'll fall off. You should feel guilty about that. You should feel guilty about just the idea that you should be you should be guilty about drinking and how they shame yes. you is is it's it's so counterintuitive to actually teaching people how to move past this problem oh god all guilt does is create a an emotion that blocks you from analysis so there's no productive way now now let me tell you why guilt is such a 
really good tool to control people um, is because it directs them away from them analyzing themselves and saying, I can figure this out on my own. No, you can't. And you should feel shameful about what you're doing. And you should do this. You should do that. They can't run your life without guilt. They can't. Right. Because guilt is the thing. It's like a veil that, that keeps you from being able to see accurately, hey, I can problem solve this on my own and without all of you making me feel guilty. And maybe, maybe I don't need to feel guilty. Maybe I need to just analyze what I'm doing and figure it out. Well, that's it. I mean, if you here, this is, this is the cycle. Okay. So you drink heavily. You're told that's wrong. It's morally bad. It's wrong. It means you're selfish, self-centered and character defects, character defects. So you should feel badly for it. Right. But you believe that alcohol helps you with your negative feelings and negative emotions. Right. So now you're feeling shameful and guilty. And what do you want to do? You want to go get drunk. Yeah. So that's what Mark's talking about. Yeah, it, negative feedback. Negative feedback. You're, you're actually blocked from figuring out, well, does alcohol actually make me feel better? Um, can alcohol take away my emotional pain? Can it? Is it doing for me what I want it to do? You're blocked from all of that because now all you're doing, you're just in this loop of feeling bad for liking intoxication, for becoming intoxicated, and and then you go back and you kind of fall on your sword and you you feel guilty again and you want to make yourself feel better and that's how that works and and in that process they're continually building up the drug they're constantly yes. constantly saying that alcohol is a solution they say you know you do it because it's your alternative coping mechanism well my god if there's a substance that actually helps me cope mentally with problems in life that's a pretty magical substance mm-hmm. so i think i want that and and so and then they say no you can't have that you should and you should feel guilty about wanting that look at what it's done to your life you piece of shit you need to get clean right. you need to get clean so then you're like oh you are you're right i am a piece of shit my god i i've hurt my kids i've hurt my spouse i've lost my job i've spent all this money. And then they say, you need to keep it green. You need to just, you need to keep it in the forefront of your mind, how bad it is. And those consequences will keep you. And you know what? Every day, every day you wake up, you need to come to a meeting and admit you're powerless and do this or else you are going to fucking die. Yeah. And so then, so then, and then you're going to talk about the entire time, how amazing the drug is. So you're going to go through war stories about how, and, and, and then it will drift into this weird, weird world of my story is worse than yours. You start rewriting your history and it becomes a competitive junkie pride scenario. And, and, and then now you're thinking about all the crazy good times and then you're building the drug up, building the drug up. And then you cascade into use, you come back, they shame the shit out of you and you're a chronic relapser. And now you're labeled not only as an alcoholic, a powerless human being, but also you're the worst of the worst because you're constitutionally incapable of being honest. And eventually even AA will not let you back. Yeah. Mark just triggered my AA drama. <laughs> I just wanted to say fucking, I literally was like, that's true like, though. It's it was so, so, you did that so well. Okay. Okay. Members subservience to the group causes them to cut ties with family and friends and to give up personal goals and activities that were of interest before joining the group. This is my exact, uh, this is exactly what happened to me. Yeah. I think it happens to everybody at some level. 
I mean, you're told not to get in a relationship. You're told, by the way, by people, Michelle made the point earlier, by people that supposedly can't run their life, right? Because they, right. they can't, you can't trust their own thinking, right? They can't trust their own thinking, but somehow because they came the day before, they now get to tell you how to live your life. Yep. You know, um, but go ahead. You can talk well, about I, it. When I came to AA, I had to, I was, I, they didn't want me to um, change jobs, but then they found out that the woman that I worked with, I drank with. So ooh, then I had to, I had to cut ties with her. Um, forget that she had, was my best friend's mother and that we'd like since childhood. Um, I had to cut ties with basically all of my friends. I didn't, you know, I didn't spend any time with my family. I, everything I did had to be about AA. Um, and, and so no social life, um, no going back to college. No, it was, it was a bizarre. And and for me, it, I think had I not grown up in it and seen that happen to my dad, um, it would have been like, I would have probably been like, I'm out of here. Um, but because I saw it happen, I'm like, well, this must be what I need to do. I know. I know. I watched it with my mom. She, my mom actually, when I was seven years old, I was the last of 12 kids. She, she packed up her shit and left and just went with my stepdad who was also an AA member and they got married, remarried. Um, and I can remember being like, where is mom? Like, mm-hmm. and they said, well, her recovery comes first, you know, and yeah. I'm thinking, over 12 kids like biologic kids, you know, and, and I grew up without a mom. I mean, that was just the way it was. And, um, I remember very strange people being in our house at Christmas time, them getting presents and us getting limited amounts of, of gifts because of these people in our life. I remember strange kids being in the house. Um, and not strange in the way of them being behaving strange, strangers, just strangers. They, I mean, you have all these people in and out of your home. And basically then my home, as I turned into a teenager, turned into a drug house. So I I traded one for another. It was, it was the craziest situation. And all of this was around this idea that my mother was this fragile person. When in reality, she was just bailing on life, her responsibilities and AA gave her that out. And it was really harmful to her children. Um, and I'm not resentful at my mom. I'm, my mom has passed away and I forgave her a long time ago. I understood that she never wanted to have the 12 kids. At least I don't, I don't think she wanted the last four. I think she wanted the first eight. I think she, she did not want the last four. That's my opinion. And, uh, but AA gave her the way out. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's that same thing pretty much happened with my father. Um, you know, he, my mother will always say he was around more when he was drinking than he was when he got sober. Um, you know, when he, when he went to AA and, you know, AA became everything. Now in the midst of it being everything, we moved away and he actually stopped his involvement with AA for a period of time, but he still wasn't around because he had learned in AA that his sobriety came first and, and to be sober, he needed to make sure he was doing all these things for himself that made him happy. Right. So, so he just, you know, he spent all of his time running and playing tennis and racquetball and, you know, he, he did become a highly successful businessman and, um, and he was from the old school, so I'm not going to beat him up too bad. You know, like he was from the old school where the man made the money and the woman yeah, took care sure, of the kids. Sure. So, um, 
so and forget the fact that my mom also made money. <laughs> she was working too, but, but it was, but he became so, so much more. It's, it's so ironic to me that when you go to AA, you're told that your drinking was because you were selfish, self-centered, egotistical, whatever. He didn't seem like he was those things until AA. Well, that's, that's unique because so, so it's real special because they say it's, egotistical it's self-will run riot we need ego deflation at depth right that's right. a common term which is a cult term by the way crushing the thoughts of a person crushing their ideas and and so they say you know you have to have that but then it's a selfish program and you got to right. do it for you and you got to do it for number one and and recovery comes first so if you look at it all of this is a manipulation to make sure that aa becomes the center of your life based out of fear that John Barleycorn alcohol is going to come and get you. And that's what the whole cunning, baffling, powerful, uh, personifying alcohol as a living creature thing is all about. It's Bill Wilson's way of getting you to be subservient, buying his book, putting a dollar in the basket and recruiting and making that all about bodies, rotational bodies coming in and out of AA. And Bill knew that it was a numbers game, you know, and that's how he became a millionaire in the end. Yep. All right. Two more left. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group. Well, that daily AA meetings, rehabs, detox, volunteer work, 12 step work, 13 step work, um, you know, all of this service oriented, you know, unity service self, you know, all of it is geared towards all of that spending time uh, and forgetting your entire existence as an individual. It's not a coincidence. They tell you 90 meetings in 90 days, because when you develop habits, um, if you do something every day for three months, you're going to get into the habit of doing it. Right. And it's going to become an integral part of your life. So, so if you genuinely, if you're one of those people that if you're one of the probably 40% that make it to 90 meetings in 90 days. I don't even think it's that high. It's probably closer yeah, to 25%. It is. It's actually about 20%. Yeah. That make it to 90 meetings in 90 days. You will become somewhat indoctrinated, if not fully indoctrinated. Cause sometimes they'll tell you, you need to go to meetings. Like you need to go to meetings morning, noon, and night. You should do three or four meetings. Yeah. The alcathon. Go, yes. go on the hour. Just stay in the meetings. Yep. And so we become indoctrinated. I, I do remember feeling guilty when I, um, after going to meetings for like three or four years and I was at the, that point in, uh, uh, yeah, I was the secretary for the area, which is just one step up from, um, the district, district right? Mm-hmm. So the area, HMB area. yeah, it was, was a Hudson Mohawk Berkshire area. So we covered God, a ton of groups. I yeah. mean, probably a thousand or more, fifteen hundred groups, um, in the Hudson Mohawk Valley and the Berkshire area of Massachusetts. Okay, so um, we in Vermont, Massachusetts, and Vermont, Southern Vermont. Um, I, I, like I just kept doing more and more and more, and it kept taking up more and more of my time. Well, in that during that time period, I got married, and I had a baby. And I can remember trying to, at that point, I'm probably sponsoring a dozen women and trying to extricate myself from going to meetings every day. I'd been going to meetings every day at that point for more than five years when I had my son and, and feeling just guilty guilty and being like chastised. 
for it by not doing enough because I wasn't doing enough. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, like that was when I really began to think, did I stop drinking and drugging to get on with my life and have the life that I really wanted? Or did I stop drinking and drugging to go to meetings? To live in this alternate reality, this weird subculture thing. Yeah. Like, why am I yeah. feeling bad for wanting to be a mom, for wanting to have a career and and become normal? I wanted, that was all, I, when I went to AA initially, honest to God, I just wanted to be normal. I felt I, my whole life, I had felt like I wasn't normal and that was all that I wanted. And, and it turns out AA couldn't help me achieve that. That's right. So yeah, that like all of your time, if you really buy in, cause I, I love these people that come onto TikTok and they say, well, you know, I went to meetings for a couple of years and it helped me. And then I left, well, you're not doing AA, right. you're not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, you left AA because you knew you were okay and you didn't need you, it. Yeah, you got well in spite of AA. In spite of it. You did what most people do. They don't stick it out. And you, it feels like it helped you um, because maybe you, you felt like you needed something right then. But you figured it out that you didn't need it. You never did. That's you right. never did. All right. The last one is members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with the other group members. Well, that's that goes without saying uh, the whole point of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, working with others, two wives to the employer vision afterwards, all, all of these all of these things, the family afterwards, all of this is designed around incorporating AA into literally every aspect of your life and recruiting. It's all about recruiting. Yeah, It's all about the dollar in the basket, one member at a time, and buying a book and spreading the message. That's and keeping it. people in a fearful, rotational life that never escapes from this. And if you can get a lifetime member, it's a lot of money. You know, yeah. they make a lot Over, of money. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, going to thousands of meetings over the course of several years, a dollar in the basket every meeting. And then you multiply that by 2 million active members on any given day worldwide. And maybe a quarter of that money goes to GSO, the General Service Office in Manhattan. You can look at the, I go through the, the, the 990s. I go through all the financial model, how it works and all that in my deprogramming series, seminar series. Um, you can see how it all works. It's really yeah, well crafted. That's the definition of a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Okay. Like we have people like that, like talking about that on, on that social media. And it's like, that's how that works is, is, you know, make one fearful, make people fearful, wrap them in, tell people that in order to get the goods, so to speak, you have to bring in new members yeah, to, to serve, to serve, serve 12. So, and, and then each of these new members, um, the basket is passed at every meeting, each of these new members. Okay. And then they're told their sobriety is dependent on their service work. Yeah. And, and so now you have, let's say you have five people, then they spider out to five people. That's the pyramid. That's what a pyramid scheme is. And ironically, Bill Wilson created the term pyramiding, pyramiding. It's used right in the big book. So, all right, I'm going to just talk directly to, and they may even be listening, but the people that say you don't have to put a dollar in the basket. Really? I want you to go into your next meeting and don't put a dollar in the basket. How do you feel? Yeah. Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like you're on display? Do you feel like you're being judged? 
you are. Know that you are. Okay. That's just the way that works. And that's just a tiny piece of this whole, this whole thing. You know, that's just a tiny piece. Uh, They'd rather have you making coffee, become a treasurer, work at district level, work at area. Yep. And then start recruiting like a guru. That's what they really want we to build. We did it all. Yeah. We did it all. We were GSRs. We were involved at the district level. I was involved in the area level. We did all that stuff. We were good little AA members for a long time. Okay. We do. We were on that side of it. Now, that's the last one. And so anybody that's listening to this that's an AA and now you're, your mind is blown, you're totally pissed off, or maybe your mind is open a little bit. Here's the thing I want you to know. We read your book. We read the big book. We've studied AA history. We know it in and out. Do us the courtesy and do that for us. Yeah. Read our book. Read the Freedom Model for Addictions. If you're going to criticize us for criticizing AI. Which is fine. Which is fine. If you want to have an equal debate, an equal effort, yeah, then have an open mind. I had an open mind towards AA. I gave I it my too. all. We actually started. Mark said this, we were, we did a live on TikTok yesterday and Mark said this, we, or no, you said this in a conversation we had with somebody, we started the whole research trying to prove AA worked. We yeah. started on your side. Yeah, <laughs> we were on your side. And then, and, and it was in that effort that we learned the truth. But our mind was open. Okay. That's right. That mine wasn't as open as his, his was super open. And my dad's was actually super open by then. Um, I, I was cautious because I, I was pretty well indoctrinated, you know, and, and fearful. I was incredibly fearful. Sometimes you don't even know that you're fearful yeah. until your beliefs are challenged. That's right. That's right. So I think that if, if you're having a hard time with all of this and, and you're instantly going to, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Um, just watch this a couple of times and then read our book. The book is the freedom model for addictions and read it cover to cover, not because I'm telling you to, but to see if what you're thinking is actually real. Are you having a good experience in AA or is there a way to move past an addiction without all these encumbrances? Yes. There's nothing to be afraid of. I know it, look at, it scared me too. learning all of these things, learning that I could be free the minute I knew I was afraid of that, that's when I knew yeah. that that it was a problem. Yeah. If you're afraid of the idea that you can go anywhere and do anything and be free and be free and not have to worry about being triggered into heavy use again or be worried about what your sponsor is going to think or be worried about the group conscience or be worried about what a god or whoever judging you. Yeah. Look at, you you want to be free? Read our book. Yeah, that's it. You can get our book for free, a digital copy of our book for free at thefreedommodel.org. Go uh, use coupon code FREEDOM, the word FREEDOM, the number 100 all together, FREEDOM100 at checkout. And, you know, thank you, everybody. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to it. Um, Share it with your friends. Tell everybody about it. We welcome, uh, you know, any kind of questions and challenges. You can reach us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and God knows LinkedIn. I mean, we're everywhere. Um, 
And uh, I think that's it for today. That's it. I hope everybody has a great week. Take care. Bye. Are you seeking private, personalized coaching to solve your addiction? Do you want to move fully past your addiction without endless meetings, therapies, and rehabs? Some of you might also want to deprogram from the 12-step belief system for good. If so, then the Freedom Model Online Coaching is for you. Learn the addiction solution that has helped tens of thousands of people to solve their addiction for good and move on completely free from the trappings of perpetual recovery. You can work privately with a certified Freedom Model coach without having to put your life on hold, leave work and family. And again, you can do it without having to attend any group meetings or group therapy sessions. When you enroll in the Freedom Model online coaching program, you'll be assigned your own personal Freedom Model coach who will guide you through learning the Freedom Model in 12 private coaching sessions via video conference like Zoom or FaceTime. You will have three coaching sessions per week and you will also get 30 days access to the Freedom Model online program, which consists of more than 65 video lessons taught by me and my colleague and addiction expert, Mark Sharon. In addition to those video lessons, the online program also includes our 12-step deprogramming seminar series, a new Freedom Model quick lesson posted weekly, the monthly Freedom Model newsletter, the Freedom Model for the Family online program, and a two-hour live coaching session, with Mark and me on the last Wednesday of each month. Go to thefreedommodel.org to learn more or call 888-424-2626 and start your journey to complete freedom today.